Aggressive wildfires strain resources. And you're now scrambling to pack up. BC crews push to the limit with so many new fires burning. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke blasts the recent policing decision. It is clear to all parties that the switch to the SPS will be very costly. Her concerns about the transition to SPS and what she wants from the province to make it happen. And BC's biggest Taylor Swift fan steps into the spotlight. She points at us and she starts kind of skipping down the stage towards us. She kneels down like inches away. The magic moment he waited nearly his whole life for. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And we'll start with the deteriorating wildfire situation in BC. A family who lost everything in the St. Mary's River wildfire north of Cranbrook is speaking out about the immense loss. As Aaron MacArthur reports tonight, in the face of hardship, the community of Ockham is showing strength and resilience. Nothing left standing except the brick chimney. It took just minutes for fire to destroy this home that has stood here for nearly 50 years. I think that house has been there for everybody in our family. We've all started at one point in that house. Rochelle Sebastian and Patrick Nicholas, along with dozens of others, were forced to flee their homes last week when the St. Mary's River fire tore through the community of Akam. A downed power line believed to have sparked the fire, which was whipped up by strong winds and dry conditions. Seven homes were destroyed, a community and a family now taking stock of what's been lost. The land will regrow. It'll, it'll turn green. The trees will regrow. It's the people in the communities, I think, that calls it, that makes it a community. And with, with everything happening, us coming together and being strong is important. Despite strong winds Tuesday, the fire hasn't seen any significant growth since Saturday. The BC Wildfire Service won't go so far as to say it's being held, but progress has been made. The same, though, can't be said for other fires in the East Kootenays. A stubborn blaze is out of control on a ridge above Sparwood, and a new fire burning near Invermere has prompted evacuation orders and alerts for hundreds of people. We just drive this morning, and we're now scrambling to pack up. Cooler weather, welcome relief for crews fighting fires across southern BC Tuesday. Some rain fell, not a lot, and not nearly enough, but some progress has been made on several fires of note, including the Rossmore Lake fire, where crews have been able to dig machine guards. We did see growth on the fire, and we will continue to, to see growth on the fire. A ground, a ground cover um, spreading, uh, not not intense fire activity like we saw. The weather is set to return to hot and dry as the week progresses. More evacuation orders have already been issued near Radium, including for a resort and a camp in Akam, like a lot of places this week. There is worry about what there will be left to go back to. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on our rainy spell and just how much we actually got. Christy. 
Sophie, this system impacted the region for a good two days, thankfully. Uh, the south coast at YVR breaking the fourth longest stretch of dry weather we've ever had recorded at YVR. Here's a look at the numbers. So across the south coast, we saw the most amount of rainfall with northern Vancouver Island up to 55 millimeters. The Lakes District, one area that had significant uh, fires uh, up to 30 millimeters. But as you can see, the Okanagan Valley and southeastern portions of the province, very minimal uh, precipitation and that is going to continue in the forecast so the concern is as we get in behind this system drying trend on the way once again more details on how hot it will get and when when i come back all right thanks christy it was a very frustrating day for anyone trying to navigate the bc ferries website a serious glitch resulted in a website meltdown and a lot of incorrect information was being displayed. Our Krista Dow is live with more on all of this confusion. Krista? Chris, it has not been smooth sailing for passengers trying to log on to the BC Ferries website today. The website is showing multiple sailings as either being sold out or that there were multiple uh, sailings, which uh, sailing weights rather, which wasn't really the case. Basically, the information on the BC Ferries website today could not be trusted. So earlier today, what passengers were seeing was a website that was glitching and there was an indication that there was a 12-hour nine sailing wait for the Tawasin 2 Swartz Bay route, which was never the case. It was actually about a one sailing wait with early morning traffic cleared by 11 a.m. That's according to BC Ferries officials. Now, right now at Tawasin, officials say it's actually about a one to two sailing wait, despite what the BC Ferries website says. So what exactly happened today? BC Ferries says the wrong information was posted because of people not showing up for their reservations. And they say they'll do their best to ensure that the information posted is accurate. Meanwhile, though, passengers we spoke to questioning the reliability of the service, calling it frustrating with the wrong information being posted and a lack of and a lack of communication rather from BC Ferries. Uh, frustrating to say the least. <laughs> I don't know, that's why I moved. So uh, I'm just kind of sick and tired of the BC Ferries. I went in to get my tickets and they don't have the tickets for the 4.30 available yet and I asked why and they just said, oh, I don't know, it'll be 20 minutes or so. And ferry leaves in 20 minutes so I can't even get a ticket yet. I am empathetic uh, to the frustration that some of our customers are feeling and and just thank them for their patience and know that we are doing everything we can to ensure that they have the right tools uh, and with accurate information um, that they need in order to have uh, an enjoyable voyage. Now, Chris, regarding the coastal celebration vessel that has been out of commission for weeks, BC Ferries says it hopes that it will be online by the end of the week and that will hopefully uh, move things along. But overall, just a very frustrating summer for those who need to catch a ferry with BC Ferries. Chris, Sophie. No doubt. Thanks very much, Krista. On the one-year anniversary of a deadly mass shooting in Langley, a memorial today for the victims. As Kamal Kuramali reports, many in attendance stressed the need for more mental health services and more support for the homeless. An emotional memorial for the victims of a Langley shooting spree. 60-year-old Paul Wynn and 43-year-old Stephen Furness gunned down one year ago today. Both men had, at some point, been experiencing homelessness and drug addiction, but are remembered 
as selfless. They took care of me. They made sure I was warm. Black ribbons, white roses, heartfelt messages left behind. Why? Why did this happen? John Wynn believes his brother Paul is still very much with them today. He'd be very proud of me for what I did for him. And I will never, never, never let his legacy die. It'll live on. We can't forget what happened that night. One year ago, on July 25th, a gunman went on a shooting rampage. Wynn killed at a supportive housing complex. Furness shot dead at the Langley bus loop. Two others injured. The shooter, Jordan Daniel Goggin, killed in a shootout with police near the Langley bypass. Since then, families of the victims have been pushing for a coroner's inquest to try and find answers on what exactly happened that day. Both families Thank you for now connected by a tragedy, forever joined with a mission to find homes for Langley's homeless population, making it easier to help them when they need it. I know how hard it was sometimes trying to find Stephen. You know, I'll drive around trying to find him. The B.C. Coroner's Service would not confirm if it's launching an inquest, but for the victims' families... There is, will be an inquest. It's going to happen. It's, it's in the works. It's an inevitability. Kamil Karamali, Global News. Charges have been laid in connection with a fatal crash nearly two years ago. A Delta woman was killed when her car crashed into a slow-moving farm vehicle. It was dark, the machinery had no rear lights and was missing several safety measures. As Kristen Robinson reports, the charges come as welcome news for the victim's family who feel the system has failed them. It was a feeling of elation that finally we're getting somewhere. Norm Sherry relieved there's a road to justice in the horrific collision that claimed his mother's life. The alleged driver now criminally charged in her death. We've had to fight tooth and nail every step of the way. And it's good to know that there's finally some accountability being taken in the death of our mom. This uh, what's left over of my mom's vehicle. Joan Sherry's Nissan collided with a slow-moving farm vehicle on a dark Highway 17A in October 2021. The bean harvester owned by BC Frozen Foods had no rear lights, no flashing red light, no wide load signage, and no red flags when the 77-year-old struck the back of it. A police report obtained by Sherry's son revealed a mechanical inspection found the farm vehicle was in no condition to be on the road. Delta Police initially said the evidence did not meet the threshold for criminal charges and Motor Vehicle Act fines were issued. To basically be told by the Delta Police Department that it's a $304 fine and that's it, was just devastating. After Sherry shared his concerns last August, Delta Police requested the VPD Traffic Division conduct an independent review of the investigation. That review, the department says, recommended that based on the evidence gathered, a report should be forwarded to Crown Counsel for charge assessment. On July 18th, one count of dangerous driving causing death was approved against 26-year-old Jasdeep Singh Sandhu. It means everything to us. I mean, you know, like I said, it doesn't bring our mother back, but it kind of brings our hopes back that there is some justice. Delta police declined an on-camera interview, saying the matter is before the courts. Sandhu is expected to appear in Surrey Provincial Court 
on August 8th. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. It's the most horrible experience that our family's ever gone through. If we can save one life so that a family doesn't have to go through this, then at least, you know, it's a bit of a light in the darkness for us. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth met with Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke today, their first sit-down since the province stepped in to force the city to continue the switch from the RCMP to the Surrey Police Service. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, this of course was a closed-door meeting, but what have you been able to learn? Yeah, no explosives, no fireworks here. I'm told it's a very cordial meeting, but Brenda Locke remains convinced going to the SBS route is unwarranted and expensive. Uh, we didn't catch up with her after the meeting. We did see her going into Vancouver cabinet offices with her staff. Mike Farmworth also in there with her staff. So again, we didn't talk to Brenda Locke after the meeting. She did issue a statement, however, reiterating her concerns about costs associated with the transition. Also saying, I also plan to meet with the advisor appointed by the minister, Jessica McDonald, to ensure that the best interest of Surrey citizens remain the top priority as we work on resolving this matter. We also talked to Linda Annis, the council member, who talks about basically moving forward and Mike Farnworth describing his characterization of the meeting this afternoon. Here's the two of them. The minister has spoken and the minister has said that we must move forward, uh, that it's not the choice of the city any longer. We need to be working as a team to make this happen. I thought it was a, a good meeting. Um, it was, I'd say, productive. It was frank and uh, respectful. And uh, I, so, I, you know, I think it was, uh, it, it was good that we had that meeting. Now that the decision has been made, I think everyone wants us to move forward. And that's what I hope we can do. So I talked to Mike Farnworth again on the phone after the meeting. My takeaway from this, Chris, is nothing's really changed here since he made his decision. Brenda Locke will continue to push for more certainty when it comes to the costs associated with the transition. Maybe she can get more money, uh, squeeze the government for even more money than the $150 million that currently is dangling there over a number of years. So it's not over yet, but it is over in some fashion. Mike Farnworth is not going back and changing his mind, and Brenda Locke will continue to push for better numbers and perhaps more money. Yeah, the issue of the money will be a big one for sure, mm -hmm. I think. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. The hockey community is rallying around a young player who just lost his parents in back-to-back -back tragedies. They always supported me throughout my life with hockey and, and school and, and friends and relationships and that stuff. Skyler Cameron is about to take his next major step in a dream to play in the NHL without his two biggest cheerleaders. The overwhelming support he's getting from friends and even strangers who vow to help him along the way. That's next on the News Hour. He's been dancing to Taylor Swift since he was a child. Later, what it was like when the BC teen actually met his idol. Plus... A life of twists and turns. The aerobatic pilot thrilling crowds at the celebration of light later on the news hour. Right now, though, a promising young hockey player from Nanaimo is dealing with not one, but two tragedies that have changed the course of his life. Skyler Cameron lost his mother to cancer in May. And just weeks later, his dad died from a cardiac event. But as Travis Prasad reports, the hockey community is stepping in to help Cameron pursue his NHL dream. It's another day at the rink for Skylar Cameron. Lacing his skates, taping his blade, the usual way of getting ready for the ice. But this year has been anything but normal for the 21-year-old from Nanaimo. 
In May, Skyler lost his mom, Linda, to cancer. Whenever she walked into a room, she had the brightest smile and, and could make anyone laugh. And she was just, uh, she was just amazing. Three and a half weeks after his mom's passing, Skyler's father, Daryl, died suddenly of a heart attack. I guess some could say it was from a broken heart, but... Two pillars of support gone, just as he accepted an offer to play hockey for Trinity Western University this fall, much to his dad's delight. He was super excited. He was still going to be able to watch me throughout my four years of university. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen a smile like that. So, yeah. Kelly Marini is a family friend whose son played hockey with Skyler. Many in the hockey community are asking her how they can help, knowing the sport is expensive. Old coaches, teammates, organizations he's played for, like everybody has rallied around and, you know, and I guess it's they just don't want that, that dream to die that Skyler and his mom and dad had. One of those supporters is Josh Bonner, who's offered to train Skyler free of charge this summer. Hopefully as many people as possible can help support his, his dream and get him through college and, and, and pass that. Like I, I think he's got potential to go play pro somewhere, and um, with, without our help, uh, it might be a little bit of a struggle for him. Marini has launched an online fundraiser. All donations will go towards Skyler's tuition and hockey expenses. It's been overwhelming. I mean, we got a few donations that made us... It made us kind of cry. We're like, wow, like some people are so generous, right? Friends, family and strangers stepping up for a young man now playing with a greater purpose. I was going to have them looking down on me whenever I play and the, the motivation for this year and these upcoming years and my hockey career, it's, it's yeah, it's unmatched. Travis Prasad, Global News. A heartfelt message from the family of two missing children. What they want the public to know about Aurora and Joshua Bolton, the subject of an ongoing Amber Alert. Plus, an ex-Mountie accused of foreign interference. The accusations, he was helping China and what happened in court today, coming up. Surrey RCMP are sharing an emotional statement from the family of two children who are still the subject of an Amber Alert. The family writing that Aurora and Joshua Bolton are missed deeply by their siblings. The statement says Joshua loves to help with the cooking, but not the dishes, and will drop just about anything to walk with his stepmom. Aurora is described as the sweetest girl, always keeping herself busy with crafts and trying to be creative. The family also shared their bedtime routine, which includes a dance party before brushing their teeth, ritual hugs and kisses, as well as the kids getting a back scratch before bed and a one-on-one -on -one chat. Today, uh, the family of the missing children shared um, a heartfelt message just so that members of our community have a little bit more of an understanding of, um, you know, the, the family and the life that, uh, and the people in their life that are missing these children. You know, we want to make sure that members of our community and, you know, members of the general public are still vigilantly looking for the, the vehicle and, you know, all the people that are involved in this Amber Alert. The alert was issued last week and the children are believed to be with their mother, Verity Bolton, her father and her boyfriend. If you have any information on their whereabouts, you are asked to call the dedicated tip line 604-599-7676. A former RCMP officer who faces charges under Canada's Security of Information Act has been granted bail. If he's convicted, William Miker could face up to two years in prison for foreign interference, allegedly helping identify and intimidate someone for China's benefit. Catherine Urquhart reports. In uh, security services or, or covert uh, operations, 
you have operational people and you have careerists. In 2014, former RCMP inspector Bill Miker spoke to the Hong Kong Foreign Correspondence Club. And the careerists are the bureaucrats who play it safe and, and climb the ladder. Now the 60-year-old is accused of using his policing background in Canada to benefit the People's Republic of China. Under the Security and Information Act, he's charged with preparatory acts for the benefit of a foreign entity and conspiracy. The RCMP allege he contributed to the Chinese government's efforts to identify and intimidate an individual outside the scope of Canadian law. The criminal allegations that he's currently facing are alleged to have taken place between 2014 and 2019, so seven years after his uh, employment with the RCMP. Tuesday afternoon, as Micah remained jailed in B.C., his lawyer appeared in a Quebec courtroom on his behalf. Micah was granted bail on a $50,000 bond plus a $200,000 surety. The former Mountie, who had been living in Hong Kong prior to his arrest, must reside in Vancouver, remain in Canada and relinquish his passport. Mr. Miker, as you heard, was released on conditions. They're conditions that were negotiated by the defense and the Crown because we thought that they were able to uh, address the concern of uh, concern of whatever flight risk there is, so they were properly addressed. A second former Mountie is also allegedly caught up in the investigation into Chinese interference operations in Canada. There's nothing wrong with setting high standards. Kim Marsh, former commander of an RCMP International Organized Crime Unit, has been named as a co-conspirator. Bill Miker's release conditions include he not communicate with Kim Marsh. Miker is due back in court August 29th. The allegations have not been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, after some major supply chain disruptions, the call for Canada to get a lot better at preserving the flow of goods and how AI could play a part. Also coming up, successes and failures of Canada's COVID response and the argument for a public inquiry into how this country handled it. Well, the recent B.C. port worker strike is a stark reminder of how fragile Canada's supply chain system is. And a new RBC economics report says it must become more resilient. As Global's Anne Gaviola explains, experts say Canada needs to make AI a part of our supply chain strategy. We're a long way from the days of shortages of bikes, couches, even toilet paper. We're still not quite out of the COVID era in terms of supply chain impacts. It takes a long time for these these knots to unravel. There are recent disruptions too, like the BC port workers strike. 13 days of work stoppage cost the economy approximately $500 million daily, created a backlog that will take months to clear. New research by RBC Economics calls on the federal government to come up with a supply chain strategy to beef up the resilience of our transport and trade. Canada's transport sector employs 800,000 people and moves $1.5 trillion worth of goods to and from international markets annually. But there is a history of underinvesting in this industry. RBC economists call for more funding from both the private and public sectors. $600 billion worth by 2040 to keep pace with Canada's expected economic growth or risk getting left behind. The globe is on the precipice of a coming investment boom. That boom centers around decarbonization and includes priorities laid out by the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act, investment in clean tech. And also the shift of supply chains to trusted suppliers, people 
who or countries who can you know more predictably um, deliver goods, but also global allies where there are less geopolitical concerns. Although Canada is at the forefront of AI development, we're behind when it comes to implementation. When we look at Canada compared to some of our G7 peers, we're in second to last place in terms of productivity and in terms of um, the innovation we're using in some of our trade infrastructures. An invitation to invest in hard infrastructure, like rail lines and cranes at ports, but also soft infrastructure. So how do we invest in data, in talent, in sector cooperation, or in smart regulation? Those things can be just as powerful as physical infrastructure. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. A new series of articles published in a British medical journal is calling for an independent inquiry into Canada's COVID-19 response. Experts from across the country, including doctors, researchers and law specialists, published the articles late Monday. The articles published by BMJ specify certain shortfalls, including difficulty reaching the most at-risk populations, inconsistent public health messages and a lot of deaths in long-term care homes. Successes in the country's pandemic response were also acknowledged, including a vaccination rate in Canada of more than 80%. Still ahead, a dream comes true for BC's biggest Swifty. I bought the tickets for my mom and I, and it was the day I will never forget with her. How an Nanaimo teen ended up nose-to-nose with Tay-Tay. <laughs> But first, from heat warnings and wind damage in the Okanagan to fires in Greece, what a new report on climate change tells us we should start preparing for. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. A new report by climate researchers says the intensity of three of this month's northern hemisphere heat waves would not have been possible without climate change. Global's Kyle Benning has more on the findings and what they mean going forward. This summer's scorching temperatures continue to wreak havoc on southern Europe. In Greece, hotel owners are looking at what is left while wildfires continue to spread. We find a line of uh, internet and we give this line for people to call their, their houses that they are safe. The country continues to see tourists evacuated from the island of Rhodes. The Prime Minister met with his cabinet to discuss how to get a handle on wildfires that have seen dozens killed across several countries in the region. He says, quote, in the face of what the entire planet is facing, especially the Mediterranean, which is a hot spot for climate change, there is no magic defense. And climate change is being named as an integral part of heat waves seen this summer. A new report found it fueled the intensity of heat waves in the southwestern United States and southern Europe earlier this month. What this essentially means is that, you know, had there been no climate change, such an event would you know, almost never have a gut. The study looked at historical data and determined human-caused emissions led to the European heat wave being two and a half degrees Celsius warmer and the North American heat wave being two degrees Celsius warmer. The report also found climate change led to the heat wave in China being one degree warmer. And while there are additional factors in what is expected to be the warmest month ever recorded, like the return of El Nino, experts say nothing is as large as the impacts of a warming planet. This warming globally, I, I, I think 
there may be some of that, but I don't think you can certainly hang the hat on, on El Nino as causing this unusual, abnormally warm summer. The research has yet to be peer-reviewed due to the timeliness of its release. And academics not linked to the study say the science is sound, but might not be accurate for every part of the regions because of their sizes. Kyle Benning, Global News. Parts of the Okanagan are cleaning up from a wind and rainstorm that blew through the region Monday night and left behind a trail of damage. The storm uprooted trees, scattered branches and left boats washed up on shore, making for a busy day for city of Kelowna crews. The storm's heavy winds and rain was a surprise for many after a summer featuring mostly scorching heat. I would say around 1030 or so it started getting a little loud. And so we walked down to the beach to see what our boat was doing and she was bucking pretty good. It wasn't so much, I mean, the size of the waves were crazy, but it was the frequency. One, two, three, just coming so fast in. The storm also knocked down at least one tree onto power lines, cutting power to more than 1,300 customers. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at the forecast. Uh, nice to see some rain, Christy, but it certainly wasn't enough. No, and not in some parts of the province like Okanagan, for example. And the gusty winds is not what they needed. They needed more rain, as you well know. Uh, thankfully, that wind was sort of short-lived, a brief period, but it was because of the same cold front that we saw. And by the way, the rainfall we saw at YVR, 18.8 millimeters of rain on Monday, was the most amount of rain we've ever seen uh, at YVR since Jan January 16th, so in months now. So that was substantial for our area, but uh, we certainly needed in other areas. So here's a look at that system as it drove through, not only bringing rain, uh, bringing cloud cover, cooler conditions, higher humidity, but also gusty winds and a few lightning strikes. Uh, we are going to see it push out of the region, although a few showers are still possible and through the central and southern interior tonight, but the focus tomorrow will be in that Fortnite Nelson, BC, Peace River area. And then on Thursday, it will shift a little bit further south, impacting areas like Prince George and then just into the North Thompson region. But generally across southern BC, the Okanagan Valley, southeastern corner of the province, we have no rain in the forecast once again. Thankfully, no big surge in temperature until potentially next week, and that's still days away. So in the meantime, over the next little while, temperatures are going to remain near to just above seasonal, so not a big surge, which is helpful. Uh, there's a look at your day tomorrow. We are expecting some cloud cover here across the south coast tomorrow. Maybe a sprinkle early in the morning, but generally a drying trend tomorrow. We're expecting sunshine by the afternoon at the very least, and the stretch of weather that's on the way is once again putting us back into that scenario that we have been in for uh, many months now. Tonight's central windows weather window, a tough one coming to you from the Casper Creek fire. This is a shot from Savannah sharing that one, uh, looking towards it. It was over the weekend. Okay, back to you. A spectacular but uh, terrifying sight, really. Thank you very much, Christy. It was. All right, thousands of Canadian Taylor Swift fans traveled over the border last weekend to attend those two massive shows in Seattle. But one of them probably had a better time than the rest. As Global's Kylie Stanton reports, a young fan from Nanaimo got a surprise gift from the pop star mid-concert that most Swifties could only dream of. This is the room. <laughs> Space is limited when you've been a fan for the better part of a lifetime. When Fearless came out in 2008, I was three years old. My mom would show me like the You Belong With Me music video and then I was hooked. 
Over the years, Carter Anderson has earned the title of Swifty. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Throughout all the eras, all the albums, she's been my role model since I can remember. So when tickets went on sale for her latest tour, the 17-year-old wasn't going to miss out. It was nosebleeds or it was floor tickets. And we just decided to splurge and go for the moment. 2500 hard-earned dollars later, Anderson and his mom were off to Seattle. We were on the aisle, we were dancing, singing, just having the night of our lives. But mid-concert, a crew member interrupts. She taps us on the shoulder and she just goes, come with us now. Fearing they were being kicked out, the pair cooperated, making their way through the crowd. Taylor Swift has, at this point, is already beginning the 22 song. That's when Anderson is led to a platform near the edge of the stage. And within seconds, as he hears these lyrics, I've gotta have you, he realizes he's the lucky one. She starts kind of skipping down the stage towards us. She kneels down like inches away from me. Then, as has become a bit of a ritual, a gift from Swift. She goes, do you accept this hat? But I somehow conjure up yes. And then as she stands up, I like get in one last I love you, like, and then she says I love you back and continues her song. The video posted to Anderson's TikTok has received 4.3 million views and counting. Of the 72,000 people there, you could say the experience was in his... It was religious, like that's the, one of the only ways I can describe it. This is the hat. The hat, complete with an autograph, will be put into a display box. Now the highlight of this collection. Oh, it still feels like I shouldn't be wearing it, but it's, yeah, it's... Until it's then, he like... won't take it off. Yeah. And he definitely won't shake it off anytime soon. Like, this is it. I can die happily now. Kelly Stanton, Global News. <laughs> is that not the best reaction? I, like... I just love everything about it. I, I would have cried. In fact, listening to his interview mm -hmm. today, I felt kind of like, yeah, so excited. Yeah, I think I teared up a little bit for him. So excited for him. I, <laughs> I've almost I've seen people almost react the same way when I'm out with Squire. Yeah, when they see him. He, he well, I don't think it's hat, quite though. that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, and I don't Maybe give not. away hats. No, so I'm not at her level. By no. any stretch of the imagination. I don't think anybody is, are they? No, she's pretty great. Okay, so um, Dane Evans is going to be the starting quarterback for the Lions Saturday against Edmonton because BC wants to give Vernon Adams this week to get back to 100%. We expect him back sooner than later, though. We're just going to be smart about it, and we're not going to put a guy that's limited out there. Adams was at practice today doing some running, as you can see. He was hurt early in the game against the Rough Riders last Saturday. Okay, also tonight, the amazing moves of aerobatic pilot Pete McLeod showing off the special relationship between man and machine during the celebration of life. set up over there 
You talking to me? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm good. Sort of. I heard a yell. An explanation. Well, no, I, it was it was more like I was just bending down to get something. <laughs> We're at that age now. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't actually a pain thing. Okay. Okay. Good. I just so felt I like making a noise. Speak for, for yourself, no Galen. <laughs> so when the BC Lions visit Edmonton on Saturday, where incidentally Edmonton has not won a game since 2019, for them it's basically home field disadvantage, BC will not have Vernon Adams as its starting quarterback. He needs this week off after being injured against Saskatchewan last week. So the great Dane will get the ball. Oh, we'll, we'll come right out and say it. We're going to play Dane Evans this week is going to start. Dominique... Davis is going to be the number two. It could be for just this week or perhaps the next two games, but now that Dane Evans is starting, it's up to him to take the ball and run with it. Different is the comfort level now, knowing that you're going to have a week to, to, to practice before you get in to start, as opposed to coming in cold on the sidelines and filling in for a guy who gets injured. Yeah, um, that's just one of the hardest things to do, coming in cold off the bench like that. But um, really just getting back with the guys and seeing their faith in me and the faith I have in them, um, it's just the ultimate team game. Just getting reps is huge and uh, just excited about it. We need to be fair to our quarterbacks, and we wanted to let them know what was going on as soon as possible. And uh, um, we think that's the best move for this week, and we want to get Dane as many reps as he can as the, as the starter and, and Dom to be prepared to be the backup and then go from there. Evans isn't your typical young backup being thrown to the Wolves, or in this weekend's case, the Elks. The 29-year-old played 63 games over five seasons with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, throwing for over 8,800 yards, 45 touchdowns, and 34 interceptions. Back in 2019, he also filled in for an injured starting quarterback when Jeremiah Mazzoli went down, and he took the Ticats all the way to the Grey Cup final. Does it remind you at all about 2019 with what you did in Hamilton? Um, a little bit how it happened in the game last week. Um, but, you know, seeing VA out here already running around and stuff, that's just awesome for the team. Um, so hopefully it's not an exact repeat of 19. Um, I want to come in and do my job and do whatever it takes and uh, just want to win a great cup, however it happens. Uh, me, VA, and Dom talked about at the beginning of this year, once we all three got here, it's going to take all of us. So um, right now it, this is my turn to step in, and we'll see what happens from there, and we just want to win a great cup. And like I said earlier, this is my turn now to get us to the next stop, and we'll see what happens after that. Um, so I'm just trying to do what this team brought me here to do. The uh, Whitecaps League Cup game, which is against the LA Galaxy this weekend, has been moved from Saturday to Sunday at 6 o'clock in Los Angeles. This was because the LA game against Club Lyon had to be rescheduled. Vancouver tied Lyon last week 2-2 in the first game of this tournament. They got one point for the tie, but they lost the extra point, which went to the winner of the penalty kick shootout, which lasted forever. So the Caps need a win over LA to make the knockout round. Canada's women's soccer team got good news today. Ahead of the uh, game tomorrow morning against Ireland, 5 o'clock hour time, midfielder Jessie Fleming will likely play. She missed the opening game against Nigeria with a calf injury. And Canada did miss her in the opening game, especially on the penalty kick that Christine Sinclair had to take, which was saved because Fleming is normally the one who takes those kicks for Canada. Ireland is not going to be easy. They lost to Australia in their opening game, but it was close and the Australians won on a penalty kick. Today, the Philippines pulled a huge upset against New Zealand. Selena Bolden scored this goal here in the 24th minute, the first ever goal for the Philippines at the Women's World Cup. And one of the players for the Philippines, Jacqueline Sawicki, is actually from Coquitlam. She played the full game for the Philippines today. 
BC Hockey wants to make its Junior B teams into Junior A teams. Now this is a reaction to the BC Hockey League leaving Hockey Canada and going its own way. The Junior B teams who are becoming Junior A teams come from three different leagues. The Pacific Junior League, Vancouver Island League, the Kootenai International League. But saying you're Junior A and actually being Junior A are two different things. It's going to take time for these teams to get their standards up to that level, but that is the plan BC Hockey has put in place. After 19 years of being one of the best players in the NHL, Patrice Bergeron is retired at the age of 38. What's amazing, he could have kept playing for Boston and he wouldn't have just been hanging around because this past season he won another Selkie Award for best defensive forward. Of course, the Bruins losing in the first round of the playoffs this year not only ruined the chance to cap off an amazing regular season, but Bergeron missed a final shot at glory. Mind you, mind you, Patrice Bergeron's trophy case is already pretty full. And there's no need to even have a vote on this guy. Just put him in the Hall of Fame now because that's where he belongs. One Stanley Cup, two Olympic golds, one world championship gold, one world junior. He basically owns the Selkie Trophy and uh, he won the Spengler Cup. He's pretty much won wherever he's been. And he's one of the guys who's probably one of the most respected players in the NHL as well. Hall of Fame, sure bet. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, Stuntman of the Sky, the pilot pulling some serious G's over the celebration of light. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, two separate searches are underway in the Okanagan for two men who went missing during last night's storm. At 11 o'clock, a kayaker got separated from his group on Kalamelka Lake. He hasn't been seen since. 15 minutes later, a fishing vessel took on water on Okanagan Lake, and a crew member is still missing. We'll have the latest. Also tonight, a young grizzly bear getting too close to a community and too friendly with neighborhood pets. At 11, what's being done about it and the people who may have played a role in this? Chris. Usually doesn't end well for the bears in yeah. that situation. We'll see. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, the celebration of light might be a fireworks competition, but there's some pretty amazing entertainment before any of the pyrotechnics go off. Pete McLeod is the aerobatic pilot soaring over the crowds before the sky goes dark. And as Jay Durant shows us in This is BC, it's a gig he's been training for his whole life. There is a certain level of anonymity for star pilots whose skills shine high above the crowds. But a lot of people recognize Pete McLeod. Airports are a common one. They, people track you down. And, <laughs> are you Pete McLeod? Yeah. I, I take that as a compliment of people just interested in the sport and happy to get to watch what you do. Number 84 McLeod, you're cleared into the tracks. It was nearly 20 years ago when he broke into competitive aerobatics, winning multiple races and awards in his first full season before moving up to the Red Bull Air Races. A lot of people think someone's you know, just, yeah, let's go and hope this works out, right? Um, but a lot of what this is is uh, very calculated practice. McLeod is a third-generation pilot who used to sit on his dad's lap in the cockpit. His grandfather flew Wellington bombers in the Second World War. It really boils down to something that is, I guess, part of me, and um, you could say in my blood, but it's, it's really something I've never, I can't imagine life without aviation uh, because I've always always been around it. His career has taken him to competitions all around the world. 
Back home, aviation opens the door to remote places around Canada that very few get to see. It's all about getting off into these special places. It's not just about going flying, but it's often where that takes you. It's specifically made for uh, aerobatics. There's a special connection between man and machine at work here. I move my arm and my sleeve moves with me. I don't think about moving my sleeve, right? Yeah. It's very much an extension, almost like a suit you put on. And every summer, thousands of people at shows all across the country witness that artistry in the air that comes from a lifetime in aviation. The thrill, the passion, the I guess the, the sense of living, the high you would get from that is still there. And that's for sure why I do it. Jay Durant, Global News. Looks like fun. Mm -hmm. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, make sure you email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Next celebration of light fireworks night is Wednesday. Should be clear again by then. Already some blue sky out there now. Christy? Yes, I mean, we're not totally in the clear, but you're right. We're already trending in that direction. A little bit of cloud cover for our region tomorrow. Sunshine by the afternoon and should be perfect for the fireworks. We're expecting dry weather beyond that, too. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow. Good night, all. What's your emergency? Ah! I'm on a cruise ship! Ah! There was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry! Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.